0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning. I am so glad you're here today. If that video doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. Um, I, I know, like that video is one. I feel like I got to come out to like Rocky music um, and wearing like the full like hood with the boxing gloves on, and so you get that video kind of gets you fired up a little bit. And then it's just me. Um, so I apologize for that. There's nothing like grand, exciting gonna happen after this cool video, um, but I'm gonna come out anyway. I'm sorry, it's just me. Um, nothing else exciting, but the video. Um, But I'm thankful you're here today. It's week three of the Revival series. Pastor Jeremy's done a fantastic job the last two weeks. Um, setting up the beginning of this year, setting up the first two weeks of this series, really kind of for us personally and spiritually and for our church and for our community, just kind of setting this tone for revival and really just spiritual awakening, spiritual renewal. And so my hope today is to kind of just carry that into what we're going to talk about over the next little while this morning together. Um, but I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak. I love every opportunity that I get. Thank you to Pastor Jeremy and Ms. Corey for letting me stand and share this platform and share what God's placed on my heart today. But I just want to see a show of hands real quick. Who has ever been wrong about anything in their life at any point ever? Show of hands, have you ever been wrong? Cooper's never been wrong. He's never been wrong. One time, he's like, look around real quick. There should be every person's hand up, right? Like, you're not alone in this. You're not the only person that's ever been wrong. Maybe this past week, you thought Ohio State had a chance at beating Alabama, and you were wrong, right? And so, like, you've been wrong before. Maybe it was as recently as this week. Maybe you've been wrong today. Like, you got into an argument on your way to church, and husbands, you were wrong, Right, and so you had this discussion, discussion um, on your way in this morning to the church, and so like we're we're humans, we fail, we get it wrong, we blow it, we sin, we mess up, we're wrong. It's a part of human nature. It's a part of what we all have learned. is a part of life. And so today, I want to talk in just a moment about a man who had several big pieces of life kind of wrong, and we're going to get into that. But I want to start today. We're going to read out of Acts today, and so if you've got your Bible, you've got your smartphone anything like that. We're going to predominantly be in Acts chapter 7, 8, and 9 today, so you can kind of go right there and move around. We're going to move around a little bit. I promise I'm not reading all of those chapters. Um, You're not going to have to sit here and listen to me read that much, but we're going to bounce around to a couple of different passages in a couple other places, but predominantly Acts 7, 8... And 9 is where we're going to stand. Acts chapter 7, it starts out telling the story of a man named Stephen. And Stephen was an early Christian. He was an early church leader. He was an earlier follower of Jesus, an earlier follower of what they would have called the way at that time. And so Stephen has to stand trial before the, the high priest and the council. Because of him being a follower of Jesus, if you don't know, Acts falls right after. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So you've got the four gospels, which are the first-hand eyewitness accounts of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And at the conclusion of that, if you've been around church any length of time, you know that the conclusion of Jesus' time here on earth is his His being crucified, three days later raising, and then 40 days after that ascending back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he leaves his disciples here on earth, his followers here on earth, to kind of figure out what's next. And we know in Acts chapter 2, the disciples are in the upper room, which really just means upstairs in a house, and they're in the upper room, and they have this Holy Spirit moment where the Holy Spirit comes down as if tongues of fire and rest on each of them, and they go out, and they start preaching the good news of Jesus, and it tells us in Scripture that on that day, thousands come to know Jesus, thousands are saved. And so early on here in the church, you have this radical moment, if I could use the word revival, that takes place on this Acts chapter 2 day. And there's all these new believers, there's all these new followers. And so here in Acts chapter 7, just five chapters later, you have Stephen standing before the religious leaders, and they're upset about the fact that he's been talking about Jesus and preaching about Jesus. And then I believe that Acts chapter 7 is really the first time in history that we see cliff notes. Now, if you don't know what cliff notes are, then you were a better student in high school than I was. Cliff notes are... I got one over here that agrees with me. Somebody else used cliff notes in high school. Cliff notes basically take a 300-page book and they break it down into about a 30-page synopsis so that you can kind of read that so that you can understand enough to be a part of the conversation in the classroom and it works until the teacher catches on that almost everybody in the class is just reading the cliff notes and not the book and then she just starts figuring out what the cliff notes miss and only talks about those things and everybody fails that quiz right And so I believe that here in chapter 7, you have kind of the first cliff notes recorded in history because Stephen standing before the high priest and the rest of the council walks them through their own history all the way from Abraham and God appearing to Abraham all the way through Solomon and Solomon building the temple. And so you've got Joseph and you've got the time that the Israelites spent in captivity in Egypt and you've got Moses carrying them out of Egypt and you've got King David in there. Like it's this incredible kind of timeline where Stephen is talking to them, kind of telling them from verse 2 all the way through verse 47 their own history. And while they're doing, while he's doing this, he's talking to them then about Jesus. And there comes this moment where the leaders get so angry at Stephen because he knows all this information, yet he's talking about Jesus and the relationship with Jesus and Christianity and all these things, that they take Stephen out of the city. And they stone him to death, all for talking about Jesus Christ. And then he makes his grand entrance into the narrative of Scripture. Look at this with me in Acts chapter 7. Go all the way down to verse 57 and 58. If you're on your phone, you've got to kind of scroll for a little bit. Verse 57 and 58 of Acts chapter 7, it'll all be on the screen, it says, Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, referring to Stephen, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him unto death. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. They laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who is Saul? Look at this in chapter 8, verse 1. So if you're in chapter 7, just go to the next page. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all of the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Stephen, an early church follower, an early church leader, goes before the religious leaders, the, the church leaders. If that, if that time was now, we would probably call these men the pastors. He goes before them, they get into this argument, and the pastors, the leaders, the religious leaders, they take him out of the city, and they stone him to death, and the man that stands there in approval of all of it is a man named Saul. So who is Saul. Saul of Tarsus was born in approximately A.D. 5 in the city of Tarsus in Cilicia. That is modern-day Turkey. In about A.D. 10, Saul's family moved to Jerusalem. And sometime between A.D. 15 and A.D. 20, Saul began his studies of the Hebrew Scriptures in the city of Jerusalem... Under Rabbi Gamaliel. Look at Saul telling us this later on in Acts. Acts 22, verse 3 says, Then Paul said, Saul changed his name to Paul. We're going to get there. I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything. That I did, the man who just had someone put to death, saying, I honored God in everything that I did, just like all of you today. Rabbi Gamaliel, the man that he spent his time studying under, was a first century Jewish rabbi and a leader of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Gamaliel is mentioned several times in Scripture as a famous and really well respected teacher. The first reference of this rabbi is found in a meeting of the Sanhedrin where John and Peter, two of Jesus' disciples, are standing trial. Look at this in Acts chapter 5. We're going to go back a couple of pages. Acts chapter 5 verse 34 says, But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent out in the council chambers for a while. So Saul who's referenced here in Scripture for the very first time in Acts chapter 7, had spent his entire life learning and training and being taught and memorizing all of these things under one of the most respected teachers in all of Jerusalem, one of the highest up people in in the synagogue at that time. So this is someone that when he's standing there that day that Stephen is stoned to death, he wasn't there by accident. He didn't happen to just be a bystander walking by that saw a commotion and went over. This was someone that would have very intentionally been there. This is someone that would have been trained up in the ways that God would want situations handled. And they were acting out what they felt was the appropriate response for the situation at hand. Saul was a bad man. He was, a, he was, in my mind at that point, an evil man because he was acting out something that no longer was appropriate. You see, Jesus had come and he had replaced so many of the, the rules and the regulations that had been in place on the Jewish people for so many generations. And he had come and he had been the sacrifice for all mankind So that we can all enter into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus entered the world and changed everything. And Saul was a bad man. Saul was a feared man. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 3. It says, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. So Saul was on a mission. He knew the Torah, he knew the teachings, he knew what the religious leaders wanted, he knew what was the right thing to do in the sight of God. And so he went one day to the high priest to get a letter to all of the synagogues in Damascus. Went to the high priest and said, I need these letters because I'm going to go to Damascus, I'm going to get my gang of guys, we're going to Damascus, and we're going to eradicate Damascus of all of the Christians. So we're going to go, and we're going to put all the Christians that are in Damascus in chains. We're going to bring them all back here to Jerusalem to stand trial, to go to prison, or maybe even worse. And so Saul gets his guys together, and I can't, I can't imagine that it was a friendly bunch. Like this is a group of guys willing to go in and destroy families and tear families apart and drag men and women away from their children, out of their homes, and back to Jerusalem. And so he's got his gang of guys with him, and they're on the road to Damascus and then it happens chapter 9 of Acts verse 3 it says as he was approaching Damascus on this mission a light from heaven suddenly showed down around him he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him Saul Saul why are you persecuting me Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Talk about being wrong, right? We've all been wrong before. But imagine you've had this whole mission. You've spent your entire life moving towards this target. And God shows up. He literally blinds you. He has this moment where he says, hey, I just need you to go, and I just need you to wait on me. And so blind Saul goes, and he's taken to the city of Damascus, and they find a place that he can sleep. And for 72 hours, for three days, he has no sight. Now, this is before Netflix. This is before Spotify, so it wasn't like he could lay in this bed. And listen to his favorite show in the background. Or have the top 100 list playing in the background. He was probably sitting in complete isolation. There's nowhere in scripture that tells me. That someone sat next to his bed. And read to him the whole time. He laid there. If I had to imagine. The group of guys probably felt uncomfortable. They took him. Left him somewhere. And they probably took off. And so here's Saul laying in this bed for three days. Not knowing what to do. Not knowing what's coming next. In silence. In silence. In isolation. And God he goes and he speaks to a man named Ananias. And Ananias lived there in the city. And God told Ananias, Hey Ananias, I need you to go and I need you to see Saul. And Ananias is like, Yeah, right. Like his 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 perception, like it preceded him, right? Like everybody knew who Saul was. He was a bad man. He was not somebody that I wanted to find me, much less was I going to go and hunt him out. And so Ananias has this conversation with God of, is this really what you want me to do? Like, I really don't want to go see him, God. And God finally convinces Ananias to go and see Saul. And he goes and he sees him. And there's this beautiful moment of a salvation moment with Saul. But they have this incredible conversation. And Ananias has the opportunity to lead him into salvation. And then he gets up out of the bed and he can see again and he takes him, and Saul gets baptized, and they come back, and they, they eat a meal together. And Saul's entire life has completely changed. You know, we're in this sermon series about revival. And when I was growing up, revival always kind of had a bad taste in my mouth, if I can be honest with you. Like, revival meant, as a kid, that I had to go sit in church every single night of the week, all week long. Like to kids, that's not a ton of fun. And this is back in the day, like they didn't have like kids church every single night. Like if you were a kid, you had to go and you had to sit with mom and dad for this two or three hour service. And you're not gonna sit still every single night of the week for two or three hours in church every single day and so you're going to get in trouble. It's just not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And I'd, so I'd sit with this one friend that I had that always got in trouble, and if I sat with him, that meant I always got in trouble. And so I never really liked revival as a kid. It wasn't something that I looked forward to. I'd hear the church and I'd hear my parents talking about revival and I'd be like, "Oh, we got to get to church every night? We got to do this every single night? Like the church services are so long." I can sit there for two or three hours and try to not get in trouble. I know Nathan's going to get me in trouble. Like, it's just, it's not an if, it's a when. But you still let me sit with him. It's like my parents were baiting me. I don't understand. They're in the room. (laughs) We'd have these revival services and it'd be week long and hours of services. And so I never really got it as a kid. And so today, I want to spend some time over the next just few minutes together looking at what does revival for us individually look like? Like not as a church, I'm not here to announce that we're doing like three-hour services every night this week. We're doing 6 a.m. services every morning that we'd love for you to join us. But what does it look like for you in your heart and in your soul to have revival? You know, the valley of the dry bones, the story that's talked about in the video where there's, there's a valley of dry bones. It's real. It's in the Bible. Go read it. It's in Ezekiel. I love the story. There's this valley of dry bones and they're dried out and they're just laying there and, and breath is breathed into them. And the bones start to rattle and they come together and then flesh and skin and, and life is breathed into, this, into these bones. It's incredible. But have you ever found yourself in a desert season? Like you just feel like you're spiritually dry. Like you don't feel like God's talking. You feel like God's even abandoned you. Like you've even thought that thought. You've, you've thought yourself like God's abandoned me. He's forsaken me. I feel so alone. He's not talking to me. He's not answering me. And you feel dry. You don't even want to open your Bible. You don't even want to. Just, it just doesn't sound good to pray. Have you ever found yourself in a, in a dry season, in a, in a desert season spiritually? I think for most of us, if we, if we claim to be a Christian, and if you're not a Christian in the room, I'm glad you're here. This is a place that we want you to know that you can belong here and you can be a part of this place before you believe. We're thankful that you're here. But if you're a Christian in the room, more than likely at one point in time or another, and you may find yourself there right now, that you've been in a dry season that you're just struggling to connect to God. And so today I want to spend the next few minutes talking about what does it look like for us to have personal revival? What does it look like for us to reconnect to God? And so I've got three R's for revival today that we're going to look at really quickly. And the first thing that we can do in order to reconnect to God through revival is that we need to reflect. We need to spend some time reflecting. If we look at the story of Saul... He stood he laid in a bed for 3 days waiting on God to show up. You got to know that he reflected on what his life has been. He spent his entire life training and learning and memorizing and growing and developing to be exactly who he was at that time. Like he had the ability to walk up to the high priest and request a letter from him. Like he was the man. Like he had some power, he had some influence. And he'd worked his whole life to get to that point. And now he's standing there and he's wondering, is it all for vain? He's looking back over the fact that he stood there proudly as they stoned someone to death. That he's now contemplating, do I believe the same thing that Stephen believed? And so he sat there for hours, hours, hours reflecting on his life. When was the last time you allowed some time to reflect on what God's done in your life and what God's going to do in your life moving forward. When was the last time you took a half a day or a whole day and you had that kind of a spiritual retreat to reflect on what God's done in your life? I remember last January. It was January 2020. I think half of the churches in America started the year out with a sermon series called 2020 Vision. It was like every other pastor I followed on social media, like that was the sermon series that they did, 2020 vision. Like this is the year, it's 2020. We're going to look at what God's going to do this year. Like that was kind of the mantra of so many churches that I followed. 2020 vision. And then 2020 happened, and I don't want to get into all that because we're tired of hearing about what 2020 was. But here, here we are a year later. What was your spiritual walk like in 2020? Like maybe last year you said, this is the year I finally do it. This is the year I read my whole Bible through. And you did really good until about mid-March, and then you forgot what your Bible looked like. You never opened the Bible app. Maybe you said, this is the year that I serve people more, and you didn't. Maybe this is the year that I I give more money to, to make a bigger difference in the lives of other people, and you didn't. When was the last time you reflected on, on where, where you've been? Saul laid in the bed and just reflected upon what God had done in his life and who he had been. But if you spent time reflecting on you, what could God point out? If you want true revival to take place in your life, if you want this spiritual awakening to happen within your soul, I think you need to spend some time reflecting to see who you are and who you've been so that God can point out some things to work on in you so that you can become who God wants you to be. The second R of revival, the first one is reflect. The second one is refocus. When I get home after a long day's work and me and my wife will eat dinner together and then we'll sit down on the couch and we'll watch a show and watch some TV or something like this, I know I'm the only man that this happens to in the room. But we'll be watching something on TV and she'll be talking to me and I hear her. I hear that she's saying something, but I'm not really listening if I'm honest. And then she'll say something and will really catch my attention. I'll kind of do the like triple blink thing. And I'll be like, I'm so sorry, baby. What did you say? And she'll look at me. She goes, you weren't listening to me, were you? And I'm like, well, I kind of was. Like I heard that there were words coming out of your mouth, but I wasn't actually listening. Like I had to refocus, right? Like there are, there are times in our lives where we do this, where we get so focused on one thing that we can miss God trying to do something in our life. And what would happen if you refocused on something? One of the most depressing things every single week while I'm sitting over here during worship of the first service, that's just the time that it happens. I don't know if Apple has like done it to me on purpose or if I can change it in my settings, But I get the weekly report of how much screen time I spend on my phone. Anybody else get that? Am I the only person? A couple people get that. It's depressing. Because I'm like, I've wasted how much time this week looking at this dumb little box and on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is. And it's like every Sunday, I feel like I need to like kneel at my seat and repent. I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I wasted so much time when I could have been doing things for you, right? And I'm like, I spent that many hours every day looking at my stupid phone. But what if we refocused our attention? What if, we, what if we focused on the things that are most important to us? What if we actually sat down and did a time audit of what our day looks like? And we said, I'm going to start really focusing on the most important things. I promise you, if we really sat down and did this, we'd find time to open our Bibles. If we really looked at what the minutes of our day are consistent of, we'd find time to pray we'd find time to listen to two or three worship songs. We'd find time to connect to our spouse better or to our, to our family better. We'd find time to serve the needy better. If we really took an audit of where we're spending our money, we'd find ways to be able to invest in things that are making a difference in the lives of other people. But I think it takes us refocusing. If we spend some time refocusing, what could God do in you? if we want revival to take place in our lives, if we want a spiritual awakening to take place, I think we've got to reflect on where we've been. I think we've got to refocus on where God has us and what our priorities are. And then I think the third thing is that we have to repurpose. I think we've got to repurpose. Anybody passionate about anything? I've had you raise your hand a couple of times. Anybody passionate about anything? I'm a passionate sports fan. I love baseball. It's my favorite sport to watch. It was my favorite sport to play growing up. I love the Atlanta Braves. I'm a diehard fan. I know who their pitchers are. I know who their coaches are. Like it's not even baseball season and I'm still tracking what's happening with the Braves right now. Like this past week was arbitration and that means nothing to like 65% of the room probably. But like I was invested in what was happening through the arbitration process for the Atlanta Braves. They'll play 162 regular season baseball games. I'm going to watch as many of them as I possibly can. And it's three and a half to four hours, every single one of them. And if I'm not watching it, I'm tracking it on my phone to see what the score is and see how we're doing and see how our opponents are doing and who's the rest of the National League East, how are they playing today. I'm passionate about it. There are things that I'm passionate about and it's okay to have passions. It's okay to have hobbies. It's great to have outlets. But what if, we, what, if we, what if we repurpose some of the passion that we have inside? If we look at the life of Saul, you could say he was one of the most passionate followers of, of what he thought was the right way you could ever have. I mean, he was passionate enough to put somebody to death for what he believed, right? Like, that's passion. Like, you know it's passion if you're willing to kill for it. And so Saul, he had learned from these wise men. He had had memorized so much of the Torah. Like, he was passionate. Then he had this moment on this road, this dirt path, that God appeared to him. And he realized he was wrong. And he realized he had messed up. And he had three days to lay in a bed and reflect upon what he had done. And reflect upon who he had been. And then he had to refocus and reprioritize some things and get his life right with God. And he went and he got baptized. he had all this passion built up inside of him. He said, gotta do something He's got all this passion, and it's about to blow got to do something with this passion. I'm going to explode if I don't. And I got to imagine that there was probably a conversation with Dan and and was like, well, maybe you could just use it for good. And so Saul, he went on to change his name to Paul and he went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. The book you and I read, if we open it and you start at Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and you hold the pages between Matthew and the end of Revelation, and you look at how thick that part is. This guy, the guy who stood there with the coats of the guy throwing the stones at Stephen at his feet, as he stood there in approval of it taking place, that guy wrote two-thirds of what you read as the New Testament. These incredible letters as they're setting up the foundation of the early church. Think about the number of millions of people that have come to know Christ through his teachings and through his writings. It's thousands of years later and we're still reading what this guy wrote about. Because he allowed a time of personal revival to take place. He allowed a time of God to personally do something in his heart. I look back on what revival means to me now. Looking back to the childhood times that we kind of laughed about earlier. And we, if you grew up in church, you know, you get it. You remember those services. But I look back now and I look back with great appreciation that I was there and I was a part of it because I saw God do incredible things. I remember a guy getting out of a wheelchair one night. Like I saw God do incredible things. I remember being there and experiencing it. And when I look back now at what revival was, it was a moment that the people of the church would get together and they would reflect on the goodness of God, right? It was the people that were getting together and they were refocusing on what was most important, right? And it was a group of people getting together to repurpose their time and their passion and their talents and their resources and their abilities. To say, God, we want to, as a church, move forward with just incredible passion. So for you today, maybe you find yourself in a, in a dry season. Maybe you feel like you're in a place where you haven't heard from God in forever. And you're struggling to open your Bible, and you're struggling to pray, and... You can't stand the silence of driving and quiet in your car because you know you need to open your mouth and say something to God, but you just don't know the words to say. Maybe you take this opportunity and say, God, I just need revival. And so I'm going to spend some time reflecting, and I'm going to spend some time refocusing some things, and I'm going to spend some time repurposing some time and some attention and some passion. God, I need to do as much as it's dependent upon me so that you can show up and do in me what is dependent upon you. And so, God, I need a spiritual awakening in me. I need revival in me. So I'm going to do what I can do to open myself up to allow you to come in and change me. With every head bowed every eye closed first and foremost today the most important thing of all if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ today is the most important day that you can make the most important decision of your life and so if you're here today and you've never said I want Jesus to come into my heart I want to admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I want him to be the Lord and Savior of my life and live in relationship with him then I'd love for you to just lift your hand if you're watching online I'd love for you to just put a comment in we're not going to bombard you with information we just want to know so that we can celebrate you and all that God's doing in your life. Thank you. The next thing is, is, that maybe you're here today and you say, I need revival to take place in my life. I need a spiritual awakening. I need to refocus some things. I need to reflect on some things. I need to repurpose some time or some passion or some energy. And so, if you say, to "Like today I need to just moving forward. I want to focus on setting myself up so that I have an open hearted door so that God can come in and ignite revival within my life and within my family and within my home, within my community. If that's you today, I just want you to lift your hand. Several hands in both services. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, we love you. God, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for sending your son to die on a cross 2,000 years ago for, for my sins and for the sins of every person that is here. God, I pray right now that you would that you would bring revival to our to our families that are connected to our church that you would bring revival to our community to our state to our nation to our world but God it starts within each and every one of us so God I pray for as much as it's dependent upon us God I pray that we would reflect on the goodness of God and reflect upon who we are and who you are to us and God I pray that we would, Refocus on you and refocus on what's most important. Refocus on what matters. And God, I pray that we would repurpose our time, our energy, our resources, our passion to making as big of an impact in the community and as big of an impact in the kingdom as possible. God, we love you. God, for those that find themselves in a desert season, God, bring them who you are. God, bless them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God, we love you. We thank you in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.